This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 47 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. A few weeks ago, we held an event called Building Churches in Deprived Areas. And one of the talks at that event was about raising up leaders from within. Well, now it's October here at Broadcast. We're in our multiplication month. And one of the key issues, if we're going to multiply churches and movements, is that we can do just that and raise up leaders from within. So this week on the podcast, we're bringing you the recording of that talk by Colin Barron. As the month goes on, we've got other multiplication events coming up and our next hangout will be on Thursday the 13th of October and the title will be How Going for Big is Keeping You Small and we'll be discussing how our desire to grow big churches can actually be what keeps our churches smaller than they could be. So all the details about these upcoming hangouts and other events is at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org and for the notes particularly on this episode of the podcast you can go to www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 47. So here is Raising Up Leaders From Within. It's great to, to be here. When Jim said, shall we put this on, I think we thought we'd get 10. So it's great to get near 50 and uh, encouraging to know how many people are endeavouring to see churches reached in, uh, in poorer areas. I'm uh, based in Manchester. I've been there for 22, 23 years, apart from a couple of years in America. And we're reaching from the very affluent to the very, very poor. And so we have congregations across Manchester um, in all those sort of areas. I think I've planted 12 now and um, most are going well. A couple went belly up, but uh, we are, you know, seeing numbers of things happen there and uh, across the, the nation and in other parts of the world as well. And when we looked at what should we do, to uh, do this first one, uh, I felt if we did uh, something on leadership, it would help. So we're going to talk, we're going to have a chance to share about what we're doing, some good practice, what's actually working, but to actually have something to go away with as well. And uh, leadership, whether you're working with the very rich or the very poor, is a challenge. And uh, developing leaders... Um, is a challenge right across the nation and the nations. And uh, so I want to kind of bring some stuff which I hope will encourage you, which I hope will give you some ideas and some help. I want to read a verse from Acts chapter 4 before um, I start. It says this, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these people had been with Jesus. That is a massive statement. (laughs) These unschooled, (laughs) ordinary men. And uh, it's from that premise I want to speak this morning. Now, We know that the sort of people that sometimes we're dealing with not only are unschooled, but they're full of addictions, they've been had... uh 
problems from childhood. Some of them, you know, some of them are very, very beaten up. We have some people from, you know, backgrounds that you just start crying when you start hearing, hearing them. But and so. What I'm going to speak of has always got to be caveated with the fact that we are dealing with very, you know, difficult, different people. But I do believe this, that there are some principles in the Bible that actually should be principles from the very richest to the very poorest. And um, I'm going to take some stuff out of the Gospels. And uh, uh, in our uh, setting in Manchester, we have this statement that we try and live by, that leadership has a very low bar and a very high bar. And that's a really important statement, that uh, we try and live in those two worlds, a very low bar and a very high bar. I may unpack some of that as I'm talking, but so often the hurdles people have to jump before they're even thought of as a potential leader is actually off-putting and impossible, not only for the very poorest, but the very richest in our society. And there's a shortage of leaders everywhere. And one of the reasons is the bar isn't low enough and the bar isn't high enough. It's actually too much in the middle. And that makes mediocrity the norm, actually, if we're not careful. So um, I want to hopefully take some of these principles and, uh, uh, and develop them. So let's hope, let's pray that in this nation there'll be many ordinary people unschooled who actually will be the senior leaders of the churches of Jesus Christ. Because this is what we're talking about. We're talking about the leader of thousands here. Tens of thousands by this time. Amazing. And uh, actually in a very educated city. Speaking to very educated, learned people. And that word, uh, they realized, they took note that they'd been with Jesus. And so, I want to bring out ten things, just that uh, I believe help them get to that point. Okay, from being unschooled, ordinary blokes, to actually um, leading this big church. And so, if we go back into Mark 1, uh, I live in Mark 1, really. I think if you're a pioneer, um, it's the best place to live, because actually, it's where Jesus started. And in a sense, there is no greater pioneer than the one that came from heaven. You know, we think of moving home as a big deal. That's a big deal. (laughs) Giving up everything like that to come to a small nation in a world that you created. So Jesus, the great pioneer, um, is uh, what we're going to be look at. So Mark 1. 16, I'll read a couple of verses. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And then a little further on, he met two other fishermen. So my first point is this. If we're going to develop leaders from any strata, any nation, any people group, then actually there is no shortcut but spending time with people and in our society where everything's diarised that actually we go from one meeting to another 
where you uh, book somebody in for an hour uh, a week. Actually, that is no way to raise leaders. And Jesus... The way he did it was saying, if you want to be a leader, if you want to uh, take everything that I've got, then actually you're going to have to give a lot of things up. And so there was two people that had to give a lot of people up, a lot of things up. One was Jesus. So he had to give up a lot of his private time. We know that because these guys came and bugged him early in the morning from get-go, actually. When he wanted to be time with his father, they were there trying to, trying to find him, debating with him, actually, you'll find at some points, when he just was trying to get some, some time by himself. So for Jesus, he committed himself to be with these people. And actually, it was a, a 24-hour seven day thing now I'm not suggesting that you know we're going to community like that but what I am suggesting is you're not going to develop leaders we're not going to develop leaders if it's an hour or two a week in a coffee shop or in a in a building like this because there's something and he did it in three years that's the most amazing thing that he took these people unschooled ordinary people and actually made them key leaders in the church of Jesus Christ and so for them for Jesus it was a big commitment and I just want to encourage us that when we're working uh, with difficult needy uh, people actually we can so get so consumed sometimes with their present needs the felt needs the, the needs that are in front of us if you I remember going to Africa I've been in and out numbers of times and, uh, and when you ask sometimes some leaders have you got a, are you developing a fund for uh, this or that and they say anything we've got just has to go because <laughs> the needs are so great you know it's just there and I think sometimes the needs are great and sometimes we don't give ourselves to the intentionality of being with people for a lot of time developing them their character their knowledge uh, their skill set actually and so and so for Jesus that was a big commitment he actually prioritised these 12 that uh, started with these four actually as key to the future. And so we want to see leaders grow out of every people group, every different area of society. Then it's, it's important. And, for the, and the second thing is that Peter and John and these early disciples, actually they had to make a commitment as well. Now sometimes actually people from chaotic backgrounds, people from backgrounds where they're unemployed, etc., do have some time. But actually you can, you can actually ask to see them, and I've done that numbers of times, and you're waiting there and nothing happens, nobody turns up, I don't know. You know it's, it's, and, uh, and so you've got, I, I realise that we've got to actually help people to learn what commitment is, to learn what it is to turn up. And actually if you do it more, they'll do it more. If you do it more routinely, they'll do it more routinely. That's the history that we've learned over years and years, that Actually, it's the one-hour die-rise, even at a place that they would normally go, is actually not what works in the main. But there is to be a level of commitment. And I just want to encourage us, when we're working with people, who is showing an appetite? <laughs> See, there's an appetite in these guys. 
so actually in the end they gave up I mean they gave up um, their, their business actually but um, I do believe that uh, we've got to look for those people and be aware watch them sometimes they might not be the most obvious do you understand but they're hungry and when you actually say come on let us meet regularly let's meet an hour a day let's meet two hours let's, let's make this happen actually you, you can start seeing those who will actually commit to it and that's so there was two way commitment here <laughs> and uh, I think it's important that we go the two way commitment sometimes we actually I think see this low bar and this high bar <laughs> The slow bar, come with me. <laughs> From wherever you are, there was a bit of a high bar here, now give up everything to do it. Do you know? But you see, you've got to start with a low bar. They're nobody. <laughs> they're, they're just out there. But sometimes we need to throw in a high bar. Actually, straight away. Let's Now, I'll give you my time, will you give me yours? And, and this is serious, okay? Is, are you with them? So, so the first thing is be with them lots. I think the second thing we find when Jesus um, met these guys is that he basically had a game plan. He 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 had a positive contribution in, that he was going to make to them. So he said, "This I'm going to make you fishers of men." And I think so often, and when you hear what I'm saying here, you, you, every different, you can put this into any, any, any situation. So it's not specific for what we're doing. This is, I think, general good principles, actually. But I think so often we don't start with a kind of game plan for people, especially when people are from chaotic backgrounds, when people are from needy backgrounds, when, you know, there's an addiction issue, when there's, you know, do you understand that so often we are dealing with the need there, and we've got to, please don't misunderstand, I don't, you know, um, I say we've got numbers like this, but Actually, if we haven't got a game plan for people, if we haven't got a, 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 a thing thinking, actually, I'm going to make you something. Not, I'm, I'm not going to deliver you for something. I'm going to make you from something. And I think so often we try and get people, and this is the low bar, high bar. So the low bar is this. You may be in a bit of a chaotic situation at the moment, but I'm going to make you. <laughs> And part of making you is to get you out of this. But it, we're not just going to get you out of this. We're going to make you something. I, I, I am praying we uh, take mission trips overseas for a lot of our students and people like that. And we're always saying that we want a whole mixture of people who can go to the ends of the earth. Whether it's students, whether it's business people, whether it's mums who... Uh, and, and from raising families, dads raising families, actually to people, I say, from uh, backgrounds that means they're just trying to survive. Actually, we want them all. <laughs> actually, bringing the kingdom of God around the world. We want. So uh, again, it's a, it's a high bar. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're going to work hard to get you from there to there. And I want to say this, sometimes it may be a struggle in the first instance, but it, you may have something that flies later on. And you might have some people that look easy in the first instance, but cause you problems <laughs> later on. So, um, so making a, a kind of positive game plan for people. And, and you think, well, okay, well, that was easy for Jesus. Well, I, I don't know if... I, 
He, it was a general game plan. I'm going to make you fishers of men. But in, in it was a massive game plan. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Is that actually I'm going to change you from what you're doing. And he also gave them it in terms that they totally understood. So I make you fishers of men because they were fishermen. Do you know? It was, so it was, it was contextually appropriate. You know, we use that word now to people who are in industry, which is, you know, not quite. So, uh, you know, we have to make a, a double jump to get them to understand what that actually means. For these guys, they understood. That was their bang. So even when we're making a game plan for people, we've got to contextualize it. So that they understand it. They don't have to make a, a, a conceptual jump to think, oh, this is what I, I'm going to be. You know, in a sense, Jim started this uh, session by basically saying, this is what I was. These are the challenges. And it, it was actually bringing it into context. It was bringing his life into context with what we're talking about. Does that make sense? So, just um, Dale Carnegie and... Um, who actually was a millionaire, made lots of millionaires. And he says this, uh, Dale Carnegie was a master at identifying potential leaders. Once asked by a reporter how he had managed to hire 43 millionaires, Carnegie responded that the men had not been millionaires when they started working for him. They had become millionaires as a result. And he went on to say this, Men are developed the same way as gold is mined. Several tons of dirt must be moved to get an ounce of gold. But you don't go in a mine looking for dirty added, you go looking for gold. That's just, that is an appropriate statement for everybody, okay? That's exactly the way to develop positive people. Look for the gold, not the dirt, the good, not the bad. The more positive qualities you look for, the more you're going to find. That, is just, that statement has been with me for years and years and years because I think it's just appropriate. You know, we're, we're going to have 100,000 students come back to Manchester this week, and we have, a, you know, we think we've got 120, 18 to 24 year olds. We're developing leaders all the time from them. I've probably got two or three people in big churches now who are running congregations in their mid 20s who have been trained with us out of their student um, life. And you know what? <laughs> That statement is just appropriate for an 18-year-old who's going to get drunk in the next two weeks of, uh, with the frat parties and the freshers and everything like that and figuring out how their lives are put together as it is for business people, anybody and, and the sorts of people that we're working with. Look for the gold. <laughs> Look what is in people because there's gold in people. And don't let's over-worry about the dirt when we're developing people. We are too preoccupied with the dirt. I believe that as church pastors. You know, when I go in and out of church situations, which I do very often, and they ask me to help them develop leaders, I, I was, after a ten-minute talk, I know, just asking them questions, I know they're preoccupied with dirt. Because every time I say, what about that person, they'll give me a list of reasons why not. It just annoys me. It totally, totally annoys me. Because, and I say, well, I know why you haven't got enough leaders. Because you're too preoccupied with dirt and not looking for gold. Okay? You with me? Third thing. I say, you can bring this into all sorts of life, so... Recognize the gift of leadership early. 
we have a, a lady in our, one of our churches in Manchester I mean she comes from the most uh, difficult situation she's had kids murdered killed I mean she's just very difficult and when uh, I saw her years ago just you away from God and God sovereignly met her and uh, when I look at her she has the gift of leadership all the way through her when she's in the, uh, the coffee shop in the market where they, where they live, you can see it wherever she goes. She's she's the kind of mother of the <laughs> of the community, you know. It's just there, but actually locked up, was locked up. Um, and uh, you, I believe this: you can recognise leadership very early, and uh, Jesus did. And uh, it says in Mark 3.13, that's not long after Mark 1, okay? So this is an early thing. It says, Jesus went up the mountainside and called to him, called him those he wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. And then he, he names them. I mean, that is really early on. Judas was going to betray him, so that was one. That was, all of them were going to run away. Some of them were going to nuke and Samaritan village at one point because that uh, village turned against them. Um, they all bickered with each other. The longer they're with Jesus, the less they look like apostles. <laughs> they look more like apostles early on. I think, you know, by the time just before he died, they were, who's going to be the greatest? Ah, and then one of them, Peter, you know, he basically did a GBH to a servant and effectively locked off his ear, which wouldn't go down well in most of our communities. <laughs> so Jesus had to do a healing job pretty quick before he was put away. What I'm trying to say is these guys didn't look like leaders. And they, and they look less like leaders three years later, I think. See, the closer they got to Jesus, the closer their character got exposed. And the closer it came, what was in came out. And what happens is they, we, we then get scared. <laughs> And we then put this middle bar which says, oh, let's just hold back. <laughs> let's just wait. Let's, just, let's, let's put some hurdles up to see if people can jump through hurdles. You know, the hurdle Jesus put up was the cross. He said to them at one point, he said, you don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> and he knew that there was a day of sanctification when they ran away. A, t- a day of reflection, a day of sober assessment at the cross that actually would mean that when the Holy Spirit came on them they were flying actually but uh, we sometimes put hurdles up and not the cross see I believe this Jesus is going to meet people, Jesus by the Holy Spirit is going to convict people and sometimes we don't allow the journey I have people come to me, off, I mean, and saying, you can't get so-and-so to do that. I'll tell you what they've been doing last week. And okay, sometimes it's appropriate, most times it's not. Okay? Most times it is, well, let's, let's either challenge or let's let God. Are you with me? But he had this... He, he, he wanted to give them the confidence that he had confidence in them. So he designated them apostles. 
Now, I'm not saying <laughs> we get somebody in our room two weeks later and we designate them apostles. <laughs> but please, I think we do completely the opposite. Mm. We don't give aspiration at all if we're not careful. Mm. And I think, I do believe this, that aspiration is massive when you see the gift of leadership. Yeah. See, the gift of leadership is either going to lead badly or lead well. You can see it. People who do some the dumbest things, it's because the gift of leadership's in them. And it's inappropriately challenged and channeled. And so I, I'm always looking at... I, I, I say I'm, this, I'm in, living in student land this, this next two weeks. I'm just helping develop a young couple, 25, 27, leading two congregations now in, in Putnam Mansion. I've just been with them just for a week or two, just as they gather in another 120 students. And um, I'm going to be looking as, I, as people come in, and I'm going to be saying, what about that person, that person, that person? And just because you can see leadership. You just talk to people, you can see leadership on them. You know? And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have a chance over lunch or something you, c- you can ask. But I genuinely uh, believe that you can spot the gift of leadership. And I've got another thing that just encourages me on this that if God has given all gifts, which I do believe He has, <laughs> okay? Then there's enough gifts of leadership in every people group to, to suffice. Yes, so that's a theological persuasion for me. So whether I go into some of our poorer areas and, and our congregations, I've got to believe this. There's enough gift of leadership because God is the giver of all good gifts. So that's a theological persuasion. If I go into a middle class or, a, or any sort of church, any sort of background, that's my first premise. When people say there's not enough leaders, I'm saying, well, that's a denial of God. So it's a theological persuasion. So if that's true, if God has given the gift of leadership there, well, let's find it. And let's acknowledge it. So if you've got the gift of leadership, you know it, actually. Some people would say, no, I haven't. But deep down, they know. You know, we've got a humble pie culture, which often either makes people totally arrogant or mostly, and it's mostly, (laughs) they underplay themselves. But actually, so is that okay? So I just want to say, some of these people that we're dealing with, actually helping them out of addictions is to give them the confidence that God's given them the gift of leadership. You see, there's an aspirational factor to that. Which Jesus gave them massively. This might get you thinking anyway, won't it? And, uh, you know, we've got to give them uh, some early wins. It's interesting, in in John 4.1, it says, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was not gaining and baptising more disciples than John, although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptised them, but his disciples. So, early on, straight away, in the baptist pool, there's nothing more honourable than letting someone baptise somebody. Yeah, Again, it's going to get you thinking, isn't it? Well, what happens if they backslide three days later? Or nuke a Samaritan village a few hours later? Do you know? But I just want to, I'm just encouraging you. Sometimes people, and uh, I put down the pecking order, low bar, high bar. Okay? Get in the baptistry, try and keep on track afterwards, because good testimony for people. Right? When he fed the 5,000, we often know that story, made the guys do it, but the Baptist one is interesting, isn't it? Early on, right at the beginning. Okay? Just whip through a few more. This is motivational, anyway. 
making you think a little bit. I want, hope you're thinking of different people you're working with. That's what I'm hoping. And uh, thinking, should we do more of this? So he gave them authority. Jesus went up a mountainside and called to him the, the, um, the twelve that he wanted. And he pointed them apostles. And he said that they, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and had to have authority to drive out demons. That word comes in early in the Gospels. It comes in there. We need to learn to give away authority and responsibility and uh, you know we keep planting churches I've just got a young I'm starting in the centre of Manchester uh, eventually I'll probably need an experienced leader I've just got a young student and his girlfriend are actually running it for me they're going to gather the first people because I, I know this I keep saying to our students if you can run something before, when you leave here you'll be running a big church by 30 and we are seeing people right you know in Japan London other places who are still in their 20s who are running Congregations, because you know, gather a few people in the city centre when you're a student, boy. And uh, I won't tell you how to do it. Just keep me informed how it's going, and I'll turn up, be a warm body there, just to give you numbers and a bit of ballast. But uh, so, giving um, uh, some wins. Giving some authority. So I've lost my notes. I went on a tangent there. But are you hearing what I'm trying to say? Is that actually our problem, and it gets even more acute when we are dealing with people who are definitely confused, have issues, just social issues, they're just issues of life. Giving them some wins and giving them some authority just seems a million light years, actually. And I want to say this, I, I believe this, and I'm not trying to be, st- I don't want people to be stupid, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm being provocative here, but I believe it. I, so I'm pushing the boundaries, so contextualise this, don't go away, saying Collins just said, I've got this guy who's just shooting up heroin, he's going to be in the Baptist pool tomorrow. <laughs> but please, why not? That's what I'm really asking the question. I guess I'm just, so please, I'm not. I, I want you to be appropriate. I want you not to be stupid. I don't want you to, um, you know, just think, okay, Colin said this is how it does. No, I just want, I'm trying to get your brain, your mind a little bit more um, um, out there. And um, I say just to find ways that can give some wins for people, especially with the gift of leadership. And if they blow it, they blow it. And you know, the apostles, the only way they learnt was by blowing it. And actually it was by blowing it and then the cross meeting the way they blowed it was actually what brought a massive growth of sanctification. If, if they hadn't have blown it, the cross, I think, it would have meant everything. But do you understand? Running away, <laughs> being arrogant that I'm going to be the best leader, <laughs> meeting the cross where their saviour died, brought a, a sense of perspective to them that actually only that could do. And uh, we know that in our own lives, actually. Okay, just a, a few more uh, to... Uh, and teaching, because this is a big one really, I think. Um, I've heard it numbers of times that, well, we can't let them teach, we can't let this person teach because they, they, they don't, they go off peace. <laughs> they don't do it well. They, <laughs> they start right, we sit down with them and then, ah, oh, it's all over the shop. Okay? And uh, so I, I think that... Um, 
We need to teach theology the way Jesus did, which is through repetition. So if you think about the way our churches are set up, they're set up like this, that you have a different message every Sunday. Um, It may be on the same theme, but it's a different message every Sunday. In fact, it would be ironic if somebody got up twice, (laughs) and and occasionally it happens, but if it was three, four times, and said the same thing. Now, if you look at how different that was to Peter, James, and John and those early guys. So, Jesus took them, they were in Capernaum, healed mother-in-law, saw lots of people saved, Jesus taught. He went to have a quiet time in the morning, loads of people turned up, Peter went to find Jesus and said, hey, there's a lot of people back there. Jesus said, no, um, God's called me to go to every village. So you know what he does? Takes those people to the next village. I believe this, and many commentators would say the same thing, he probably taught them exactly the same (laughs) as he did to people in Capernaum, because brand new people. And then he would go to the next village. You know what he'd have done? He'd have taught them the same thing again. I remember if you travel, I've travelled with Terry Virgo and Dave Devonish a bit, you suddenly realise that some of the sermons they've preached are about a million times they've done it. I mean, I confess, I'm exactly the same. The thing is, if you're with them all the time, I've talked to their wives, and uh, they have coping mechanisms of how to listen to the same message, which is... Um, and uh, I think one of them writes down the sermon again. Just, uh, but you know what? The reality is they could they could speak those sermons verbatim on the grace of God, on contextualization, on uh, Romans, and we just don't do that with our people, especially the unlearned ones to actually help them hear the same talk 20 times in the end they can speak it without going off peace <laughs> that's how the bible was written because in the end they sat down and they remembered it now it was an oral culture so that would be part of their kind of the way they you know they learned stuff anyway but the reality is if we're going to help some of these people to become teachers in their community then we've got to do repetition we've got we've got to do it and they've got to speak it back to us until we're confident they've got it and I think some of the stuff we're doing now in the Peak District, and in fact one of my leaders is down in a, at a seminar today actually in Leicester, learning how to win people and actually how to story them in, in the Gospel, how for, that, for them to be able to tell the story back to you so that they can actually then tell that story to their friends. So there's a number of things that actually evangelistically are there, but I would say this, developing leaders and teachers. This is what we've got to do. And uh, I think we're just a bit scared of doing it. It just seems... And we, what happens is you dumb down if you're not careful. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go with the Dave Devonish, I was in uh, Russia with him when he taught dramatically from Romans. You know, it's just indelibly was on my mind. I think, and I, and I heard again, and I'm watching do it, and I'm thinking, I'm understanding Romans in a way that is just great for me. And, uh, and it's just being there 
learning. So it's not like just, uh, please don't miss this, asking people to say a few parables or a few, you know, I think you can teach Romans theology. Because it is a story. Romans is a story. There's just some great characters all the way through it. And uh, Paul picks up the characters, actually. So, But people have got to hear it again and again. And have got to be teaching it. Are you with me? And I say, I think it's not the way we... We teach them in the main, um, but I think we need to do it. So, a couple of other things. Um, uh, no, sorry, just in that, just in the teaching stuff, um, I get people to prepare my sermons for me. Now, occasionally I'll ring up a, a theologian when I'm totally stuck, but I get people who are with me. <laughs> I remember once an insurance broker turned up in one of in my office, and uh, I was just trying to do a sermon. I said, I said, if you've got a bit of time, can you sit down and just help me? I'm a bit stuck. So he, he sat down for 20 minutes, actually joined one of our churches after that. I think he was so amazed that I was... And then I said, on Sunday, I'm going to acknowledge the fact that this point two was yours. <laughs> And uh, so, but actually, so it's so rare for people who are preachers to actually do their study and their preparation in community. Mm. Most actually want their quiet time, their quiet office, their books. Actually, I, we need to get people to prepare with us. What's well, no better way? <laughs> of actually people understanding it um, by debating it with you, by contributing to your point. <laughs> and then actually you're telling people that was the person that did it. Sorry, just hope that. A couple more things then. I think challenging people is, again, important. I think we over-challenge and sometimes under-challenge and often wrongly challenge. Okay? I have big, three big statements there. It's interesting when you look at Jesus, the way he challenged, there was once when he challenged really strongly, and that was Peter, when Peter said, I don't want you to go to Jerusalem. And um, Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That was the biggest rebuke, I think. Now, in a sense, it was the biggest rebuke because Peter was going to do the most dumbest thing. And the most dumbest thing was this, stop Jesus going to the cross. That's what he was trying to do. Don't go. So Jesus had to, because Jesus set his face. So sometimes we have to do a massive challenge, but they're very rare and are the highest stakes in the world. Okay? So that was that. There was other times when the disciples are arguing who's the greatest, and even getting mother-in-law at one point to come and actually, or mum to come and uh, to come and help them. And it's interesting when you look. Jesus sometimes just kind of dismisses it. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, it's like he doesn't get upset with it. It doesn't make it a big deal. I think sometimes we make little things big deals. Sometimes we, you know, we, we have a chat sometimes if someone's smoking pot and they play in the band on Sunday mornings. Well, that's just interesting conversation, isn't it? I've just noticed. Suddenly I've juggly got everybody. I'll not tell you what our outcomes were, but the reality is... Um, you'd be surprised, I think. Um, 
but you're getting into kind of detail like that and putting it into a context that's that's just inappropriate for that sort of conversation and I guess what I'm trying to say is we've got to be careful that we don't put our own worldview, our own preconceived what is normally good or bad do you understand? into uh, into someone's life that, you know, playing in the bank could be part of their salvation, part of their journey so just got to be careful that we um, challenge the right things and challenge um, if we're going to raise leaders up they're going to be as, as Carnegie said there's going to be a load of mud but the gold in people needs developing and if we concentrate on the mud we're not going to get the gold so I keep saying like, what is the gold what is an appropriate challenge what is an appropriate role that's not going to totally make mess everybody up but also to give people confidence that actually, okay, they can be used. See, that's the other side of it. What looks like a, a bad Christian testimony, which could be, please, miss, it could be the hope of the world for somebody thinking, wow, I know that person, I know the journey they're making. These guys have got confidence in them. Two, world, two views of the same thing. Now, please, every situation is different. Again, don't go away and change your band and put the most in the pra- you, Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? I'm just saying that um, uh, you, we're not going to raise leaders. We, I believe this. We've got tons of leaders in Manchester. We're just overwhelmed with them. And that's because virtually everybody's a leader. I think Wimber said this, and I'm not sure. <laughs> okay, but I'll, I'll say it as uh, it is. But uh, I think he said everybody's a leader until they disqualify themselves. If he didn't say it, it was a great statement. <laughs> Do you so he starts from the gold, not from the dirt. The, uh, we start so often in the other way, okay? Uh, challenge. So uh, there's lots of things I could talk about challenge, but I'm just giving you a little bit of a heads up now. I think uh, make opportunities for people to live by faith. It's so easy when we're in a donor situation, where we're in a, we are there with stuff we can help you with, whether it's a food bank, whether it's um, whatever, because that's a lot, we're in projects, we're actually there to serve people. The reality is we need to get people to live by faith. We've got to take people from fatalism to faith. Okay, so many people, especially in our more deprived areas, are living in totally fatalistic lives. I go to India, you, you know, they've got a caste system that's fatalistic. We actually have a societies that are fatalistic, that nothing will change for me. So why bother? Why bother at school? Why bother at home? Why bother in community? And so Jesus said this, if you're going to go and do this mission, then you've got to raise the money. <laughs> Take nothing with you. Believe God. We've got to get into the heart of the most needy person that God is their provider. Yes. It's so important that we get to that point. Because that's leadership. You're not going to lead if you actually feel there's a part of your leadership that you can't bring to play. And part of the gift of leadership is to actually raise money. <laughs> to actually believe that God is our provider. And I just want to encourage us 
that we've got to find ways, appropriate ways, of helping people live by faith. And sometimes it's just finding ways that they can raise money to start with. So we have got some wells in, in India. We took a team out to India. Some of our poorest people raised money. I was in a, in a, in a coffee place in, uh, in a market and there was one or two of our ladies selling raffle tickets around. This is, for the, they were this is for the church. We're buying a well. And I was thinking, oh, is this the most appropriate uh, thing to do? But actually, uh, once I, I kind of got over my uh, just slight embarrassment, I realised, actually, this is wonderful. Because these people are doing the way that they can from a donor orientated world to we are going to sell what we can to raise some money and actually they've got a placard on a well in India raised by these people. But you see that's the jart of a journey of taking responsibility and part of that journey is believing God would provide. Are you with me? So we've got to change the culture of everybody and that is you know from doesn't have to be the poorest it can be you know middle class all sorts of people who actually still believe that by working hard God is that's how we're going to get our money to go to India no in the end God is our provider okay with me so everybody's got to live by faith and then don't get faced by inconsistency I think I've just (laughs) probably peppered that through everything low bar high bar Everybody is inconsistent. Some people show it more than others. That's just the truth. Some people can hide it, hide it, and they've got enough self kind of. uh, what word I'm looking for they, they can so control their environment themselves that actually their inconsistencies doesn't show so much some other people's inconsistencies just out there <laughs> <laughs> it's just there yeah. and people often from backgrounds that are a bit more chaotic tends to just be out there <laughs> we have just not got to be phased by inconsistency and honestly I get it from I go in an elders meeting and I say that person there, they're running that multinational company why are you not even considering them for leaders ah, they don't turn up sometimes they're too worried about their job, I'm thinking and sometimes, and and there'll be a load of reasons, and I'm thinking that's just an inconsistency in another another level, another way I'm thinking well change the way you do your meetings so that they can be consistent, because sometimes inconsistencies are the way we operate not the way that people are and so we actually drive people's inconsistencies by getting people to conform to something that actually we struggle to conform with reality you know they don't go to home groups enough well sometimes they're so boring nobody would want to go to them (laughs) but they just don't I mean just not genuinely it's just they only come because food's there well Jesus mainly turned up to people's homes because there was food there basically told to most people, I, I'm going tonight I'm getting back here because we've got a fantastic Indian family, they're on a curry night tonight, we're praying night. I'm, I am highly motivated to get on that motorway <laughs> I'm telling you this, if the curry wasn't there, I probably wouldn't be so highly motivated, that's just the truth because there's something great about food and fellowship, just so, anyway, so we really don't let's make sh- see, and the other thing about inconsistency is this it will look worse the nearer they get to central leadership because that's what happened with the disciples they looked very consistent the day they put their hand up and said Jesus we're going to give you everything 
And for that first year, yes, Jesus, you go, we go, you go, we go. The next two years, they looked the most inconsistent group of people you could meet. They wouldn't have, literally, they would, they would have struggled to be in any sort of senior leadership in our churches. The mind running a church of thousands and thousands, we probably wouldn't have let them run a church of a hundred. Because this inconsistency is part of our growth. It's with us all. Actually, and I just want to encourage us not to judge by outward appearances that something looks more inconsistent than someone that can hide it. You you hearing what I'm saying? Again, we we want people to mature. Low bar, high bar. Everything I'm saying is not that we want to dumb everything down. It's completely the opposite. I want to get people flying. I want them at the top of their game. And, uh, okay, so, last thing to say. Um, we have a saying in Manchester um, that we have a second chance, third chance, fourth chance, hundredth chance culture. The reality is if someone preaches and they do badly, I want them back up again. Even if they don't be a preacher the rest of their life, I want them to do well. And I'll do everything to make them well. If they, whatever they do, whether they blow it or not blow it, I want them to do well. And so everybody needs another go. And so many of our churches, so many of our projects actually struggle with this. But, you know, Peter would never have been there without a many chance culture. The honest truth is, most of us wouldn't be doing what we're doing without it, really. But I think we've just got to, you know, how many times do you forgive Jesus? Uh, I think what Peter said to Jesus, seven times? No, 70 times, seven, every, you know, all the time. It's like the rest of your life is a life of forgiveness. <laughs> And I think it's a bit like that. We've got to understand, and especially, and it, even more so when we're dealing with people that are displaying lots of inconsistency. You know, hope and then blowing it, hope and then blowing it. We've got to, especially when we're looking for the gift of leadership. You know, actually, okay, let's do it again. And uh, I, just want to, like, I just want to encourage us. Uh, let's be more consistent than their inconsistencies with them. And uh, sometimes we are the inconsistent ones. Because we make a, a rhetoric, someone blows it, and then we leave them for a year. Who's the most inconsistent on that? I would say it was us. Because <laughs> we've made a, a statement, I want to make you something. <laughs> if we want to follow that through, then there's a level of consistency that we need to show with their inconsistency. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder that all the notes on everything that's been covered in this talk is at www.thebroadcastnetwork.com dot org slash episode 47 and we'd love for you to join us on the 13th of october when we have our hangout on how going for big is keeping you small